Welcome to the Parenting Cipher, where each episode will give you the tools and resources to help your child thrive in school and in life. Please rate and review this podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Hello, everyone. Well, today we have a special guest, Miss Leanne Sherrod, who is representing because she's the founder and the president of Expressible, which is an online speech therapy practice that helps children of all ages reach their communication goals. Our mission is to make the highest quality speech therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient for everyone in need. All of their therapy is delivered virtually by licensed and experienced speech-language pathologists, helping families receive exceptional care from the comfort and safety of their home. So with that being said, what was so great for me when I was actually contacted by Leanne's marketing team was that when I spoke to the representative, we really talked about how parents don't necessarily know how to support their child as far as when it comes to what's actually happening in speech. And when we start talking about therapy in the home given virtually, One of the things that I'm an advocate of is having a backup speech. So kids receive speech in school, but you don't necessarily have that rapport. You don't know how to initiate that rapport. And on top of that, sometimes with a speech therapist who is inside the school, with the services they provide is based on what the school has stated is important. So sometimes you will be in a situation where they are addressing, like they say, articulation, just the only thing they want to look at. But there are other things that are going on with your child. And one of the things that I did when I first started my journey as a parent was I had a backup speech therapist. So I would always ask my speech therapist, okay, it's time to make IEP goals. What do you think? Yeah. (laughs) You are ahead of the game in that regard. And You hit the nail on the head as far as what we also kind of view as some of the limitations that are presented by school services. What I always say is it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing that, you know, here in the U.S., we have the concept of the IDEA Law Disabilities Education Act and free and appropriate public education and getting those kids services to make their work in school, you know, the most appropriate for them, but there are shortcomings and it's difficult to ignore them, especially as a practicing clinician. I did a little bit of work in schools and was actually on the assessment team deciding, you know, which kids qualified for services and writing those goals. And it's just really hard for the SLPs to be in contact with the family outside of that one meeting a year to talk about how they're helping, how parents can help at home. Yeah, you're spot on. There are a lot of shortcomings and we are really big advocates for keeping our care as accessible as possible so that families don't feel like they have to be in an either or situation, that they could get both, that they could do school services and work with us. Or maybe their kiddo doesn't qualify at all at school, but there are still things that we can help work on from a medical necessity basis. I also want to add the part that they also provide families with personalized education 
and weekly homework assignments, which is really important because it helps you actually connect with your child and their challenges. It's one thing as a parent where you're kind of like, I don't understand what you're saying, or you're speaking really fast. But one of the things that I love the most about my speech therapist was she would talk about pacing boards and she would show me how to use them or even how to verbally cue him in a supportive way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, you know, sometimes the way that you think that you're being supportive, that's not how it's received. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you can get in the weeds a little bit, you know, as far as detailed cueing level. And I think our goal, and I think good speech therapists, the goal is never to turn the parent into a therapist. That's, mm-hmm. you know, what we went to school for. But really more to capitalize on the moments that you're sharing with your child every day anyways. You're communicating with them all the time. We can do small changes to have a big impact, or we can help set up, you know, a more structured practice schedule with specific activities, but help walk through how to make those as supportive as possible. And when you're looking at that, you're just looking at an exponential number of time. 60 minutes a week that they might spend with us or might get in the school versus hours and hours and hours a week that they're working with you, talking with you and getting that really good, good input. Right. How to intertwine it into our daily lives. Absolutely. Yes, Very that is goodness. key. Yeah. <laughs> For as busy well as, parents, it's key. Right. As well as helping us to be able to talk to other family members about how to support them in their daily lives. Because sometimes, you know, because we're not talking to the speech therapist, so we don't know how to actually tell someone what's going on. So then, you know, you have family members and they're like, boy, you talk too fast. I don't understand what you're saying. And it's like, you know, to have actually engaged with your family members and friends and family who are dealing with your child in an empowering way. <laughs> and I find the more I know, the more I'm able to explain it to people. Yeah. To be an advocate for them in in any situation. That's a fantastic point that, yeah, I haven't considered that too much. I think in other conversations with other podcast hosts and parents, (laughs) that's a really excellent point that you can also not just work with them, but advocate for them with family. It's an important aspect just because what happens is, is you get a diagnosis. Someone tells you your child has articulation or they have dyslexia or, you know, an array of you know, diagnosis, but you're kind of disconnected from it because it's on a piece of paper and no one's actually telling you what that looks like in real life. You may know that you can't understand your child. You may know they talk too fast, but you don't know actually how to tell someone else, like, this is why they talk so fast. This is why you can't understand them. So if you can't understand them, ask them to slow down. And I have to actually start coaching my family on that because my son is like really talkative. But he had rapid speech. Okay. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what rapid speech is, because trust and believe that you have experienced it. It's yeah. when a child talks <laughs> so fast that the words and the pronunciation are running together. So it's kind of like you may catch a word here or there. And my son is like very, he's like engaged and he's happy. And it's like, we're looking at him like, I don't know what you're talking about. And my brother would always get him. My brother would be like, I know you're excited, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. There's an inherent 
question that we ask back and most, you know, a lot of people are inherently pretty good at saying the right thing, but sometimes we, yeah, others who maybe don't have that kiddo or aren't as close to the problem or the concern might not always say the spot on best thing to support that child. So yeah, you make a fantastic point, Jeannie, that being there advocating and not just at home, but also at school as well. That's something, like you said, talking to your private speech therapist about what goals they would recommend. You probably carried that back to the school and took a lot of that education from that SLP with you and were able to really advocate for the care that you felt he should receive in the schools. Yes. And just for everyone to know, at one point, the school actually wanted to take my son off of, and that leads to one of the reasons Leanne is joining us today is for Q&A. So I have some questions from the community about what would you ask a speech therapist if you had the opportunity? And leading to that, one of my questions was, how do you know as a parent if the school is basically advocating to remove your child from speech therapy But the diagnosis really is based upon articulation only. That's a good question. And that does come up. The way to frame services at school is to know that they're always going to be evaluating and assessing based on academic need. And so that means they're comparing what the kiddo is able to do to how successful they're able to be in their general education setting. Are they able to function in a general education classroom, meet appropriate grades, make age level progress? And so sometimes there are pockets of other disabilities as well. But when it comes to speech and language, there are pockets of communication where the kiddo might very well have a concern like articulation or another one that comes up is sometimes stuttering or Mm -hmm. social skills. They might have an issue, have a concern, but if it's not impacting them academically, they won't qualify for services at school because the schools, you know, they're always working off of limited resources. And so Mm -hmm. in a way, that's kind of how they keep it to the kiddos that would quote unquote need it to succeed in their classroom setting. So if someone has maybe a lisp on some of their sounds, if they have rapid speech and sometimes are tricky to understand, if they stutter, but they're still reading at their grade level, they're still making friends, they're still participating in class, the school might come back and say, we don't see evidence of it impacting them negatively and therefore we won't provide services for them here while they're at school. That doesn't mean that there's not a concern. In our setting with Expressible, in outpatient settings, if you're going through insurance, those evaluations are going to be done more on a functional and medically based need. So, you know, there is the opportunity to seek that outside care if the school is not providing it while they're at school. Okay, so you said that if they see that it is interfering with their academics. So if the school is saying articulation, like they're only saying articulation for a parent, sometimes they do not actually understand that academics and speech coincide. And Mm -hmm. for instance, for me, I realized that my son had articulation, but he also had dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in my studies, I realized that a lot of children who are receiving speech therapy at some point, especially like early on, 
it can be an indicator that they may have another learning disability. Yeah, that is true. And when it comes to articulation and phonology, that might very often tie in with reading. Language delays and disorders can also impact reading progress. So that is what they'd be evaluating for. So when they set out to do their assessments, they'll gather, even if it's a speech-only assessment, because mm-hmm. in the schools, you might be referred for just speech and language evaluation. You might be referred for you know, a full kind of mm-hmm. disability evaluation. Even if it's just speech and language only that they're recommending, they'll still look at their, you know, reading progress, their reading levels, they'll talk to their classroom teacher, they'll come out to do specific assessment tasks, but they'll also observe them in the classroom and talk with their classroom teacher and really try to get the fullest picture they can of how that speech and language might be impacting academics or could potentially play a future role in impacting academics. But I say that and I know full well that it might not always be done the best that it can be. It might not always be the decision that winds up being the best. And parents have rights when it comes to schools. There's a ton of information Mm-hmm. online. I would not call myself an expert in that kind of arbitration and everything like that, but parents and families have rights because of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. If they don't feel that their child is getting the most appropriate education for them, they have rights to request outside evaluations that the school would need to cover for them. And I mean, it gets hairy if things it go gets It's really hairy, but... The question basically with a particular parent wanted to know was, what am I supposed to look for? But, you know, you did a very good job answering that question of like, you know, there are other questions that you can ask, even if you could assume that they did all of the conversation with the teachers, they did the additional speech assessment. But at the same time with this conversation, you also realize, you know, what you should be looking for mm-hmm. when yeah. someone's sitting at the table telling you. Okay, we think that your child has met all their goals. Okay, so the next question is, oh, this is a good one. What advice would you give to families about speech therapy? Ah, that's a good one. It's a nice general one. And my first response is trust your parent gut. I say that a lot. I generally find in my experience working with families that parents' instincts are more often correct than incorrect. So if you have a concern for your child's communication development, whether they're really young, they're one, maybe you're looking for those first words and they're not showing up yet and you're a little concerned, or they're six and you still can't understand them and you're getting, oh, you know, more concerned or even if they're 13 and you're wondering if their social skills are on par with the rest of their peers. If you have a concern, trust your gut and initiate that search for resources that could start with the school. It could start with their pediatrician. It could start going directly to a speech language pathologist. At Expressible, we do free 15-minute phone consultations with a speech language pathologist on our team, licensed and certified. So if you have initial questions, they have, you know, some initial answers and can make recommendations about whether or not it sounds like a full evaluation is warranted. My second big piece of advice is if you start that process and your kid is receiving speech therapy, try to stay as involved and engaged as possible. And that really ties back around to everything we know with research about the impact that parental involvement 
has for a child's progress with speech and language goals. Again, it's just that exponential factor of time. The more input that they can have, the better. You can be that advocate, even if it's with your individual speech therapist, asking questions on a weekly basis when you see them, checking up on how they think the progress is going, comparing that to how you feel progress is going at home. Just, you know, stay involved, stay an advocate. I think some families, it's difficult. Things are busy. Life is hectic. And so occasionally what we see is some families kind of use speech therapy as a time to disengage Mm -hmm. and let us kind of just be with the kiddo for that 30 minutes and they get to go kind of accomplish laundry or cooking dinner. And I know how important that is, but we really love to try to advocate for them to stay in the session with us, stay involved because we know how important that's going to be for the child's outcomes. So if I was putting it in two big buckets, I'd say trust your gut and stay involved and engaged in the process as much as you can. Okay. And then another question was, what should families consider having their child evaluated? What are the markers? What should they look for? I know for me, because I know for each state, it's different. Mm-hmm. But most states in public school, they don't really do an early assessment. Now, with my son, he went to a private school and that was part of their curriculum. I think he was four years old. So he was in actually pre-K three. Excuse me. He was in pre-K three. And that was part of their model was to do speech assessments. And they had mm-hmm. someone come in and do a light speech assessment. And then they came back and they were like, I'm talking do you understand him when he <laughs> speaks? And I was like, Yeah. Your mom, yeah, of course. Right, right. (laughs) Because as moms, you understand what your child is saying. But then I really started to think about how I had, and he was in in daycare, and I asked them to write evaluations for him. They had made comments like, he doesn't talk. And I was like, he don't talk to you. He talks to me all the time. But I had to realize, does he really talk to me all the time? Or do I make him talk? I would make him talk. Like you want this cookie? Say, please. I would Mm -hmm. make him talk. And it was usually one word. And at this point, I think when they started the evaluations, he's like three or four, you know, there's other markers. Child should be saying more than one word to Mm -hmm. express themselves. And then when she asked me, like, I understand him. I was like, then I thought about, I really had to think about me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What we do is first of all, especially if you're a little bit anal and you have your book and it's like, is my child here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm one of them parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then to have someone say, do you understand them? So I took a step back. I didn't respond because my initial response was like, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. But I asked my mom and asked yeah. my brother and they were like, no, we don't understand him. And I really thought about it. And I was like, no, mm-hmm. I don't understand him when he talks. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good point. We call that word sometimes intelligibility, not mm-hmm. related to intelligence at all. You know, it kind of sounds like it. intelligibility. <laughs> it's a false cognate in that way, but it means just how well are they understood? Basically, what percentage of the time? And we should always be looking at at least two different measures we should be asking about familiar listeners and unfamiliar listeners because you're exactly right that (laughs) parents, mom, you guys have the code. You know the secret code in your head for, oh, whenever they say tup, they really mean cup. And I know that that's what they're trying to tell me. But Joe Schmo on the street wouldn't know that. And maybe even uncle wouldn't know that if they're not talking to them every day. So 
yes, that question can be a confounding one sometimes for families. And that might feel like it sets you off track when you're thinking about, well, does my kiddo need extra support because you're with them every day? And then someone might come in from outside and say, yeah, I kind of see this milestone as being a little bit off. What do you guys think? As far as the question of when a parent should look at that option, every age and stage has different markers. So I would suggest kind of like you said there, Jeannie, like finding a good resource. Our website and blog has a lot of good resources. We try to arm parents with education on there about those milestones because you're looking at language development, which is kind of, you know, vocabulary, sentence structure. You're looking at sounds, articulation, and phonology. Those all have their own sets of mile markers. So it's hard to kind of summarize like, oh, when should you get support? Because kids might fall behind at any certain age with any particular skill. So if parents can get their hands on like a good resource to be checking against those, what we do know is that earlier is better Mm -hmm. when it comes to intervention. And so if we notice something falling behind in that birth to three age range, that is a fantastic moment for us to capitalize on their young, new spongy brains um, that are just soaking up everything around them. If we can intervene at that point, help support them, we are more likely to be decreasing their need for future support. And so again, I'll go back to that recommendation of trust your gut. If you're looking at your checklist, or maybe you're not looking at your checklist, maybe you just have a feeling you just kind of feel like you're feeling Yeah, yeah, you're just kind of looking around maybe at some other same age peers, which is a double edged sword, because some kids you look at might be kind of advanced for their age, other kids might be also, you know, potentially a little bit behind. So it's tricky to compare to same age peers. But you know, if you're looking around the playground and wondering, like, "Hmm, yeah, my two year old is still kind of only using one word when he talks to me. And I see all his friends using two words together. And maybe he only has 10 words, whereas they have 30 or 40 that they're able to use. It's a good thing to just get the ball rolling, ask the pediatrician, contact a speech therapist because earlier is better. Same thing, like we said, if they're three or four years old and you feel like you're still understanding less than 90%, a four-year-old, if you can't understand 90 to 100% of what they're saying, they might need some support with their sounds. Two years old, sounds are more flexible. We might only understand like 50% of what a two-year-old really says, but that would be age expected and typical. So there's a lot of different markers. I would encourage families to kind of check into a resource about it to kind of have a pulse check on sounds and language development throughout their whole childhood, really. So for Expressible, what age do you services, which, you know, for students? We actually work with all ages as young as 10 months and as old as 21. We do also work with adults, but kind of in the realm of children, children with disabilities up through, you know, 21 young adults. And that's what I mean there, like a 10 month old, it can be early, we can see early indicators of, you know, potential communication delays or deficits. And if we help families get ahead of that, it can be so much more powerful. And you might wonder, how the heck are they working with 10-month-olds? 10-month-olds, 12-month-olds, over a Zoom call. It's all about that parent involvement. And it's actually a wonderful forcing function. Again, my recommendation about staying engaged and involved, you kind of have to if you're doing a virtual session. And children are also most apt to learn in their home environment. 
And from their people, from their family, that's who kids are the most eager to learn from. It's who they turn to, to imitate and see what are they doing? I'm going to do that too. So we get to come to families at their home through telepractice, see them at a time that's hopefully convenient, which is important again for being involved, staying engaged, taking those 30 minutes with the professional to learn together. And when we're talking about the little kids, we don't need them to look at the screen. That's not really the purpose. We would love for them to be looking at their own toys that they see every day that parents can practice with. And the therapist is there kind of acting as a coach that has a window into the home environment, the child-parent relationship, and kind of helping coach. You know, oh, if you model that two-word phrase for them like this, they might imitate it. Let's try that. Let me see you try that with the blocks, more blocks. And then parent gets to try it, child says it, and then the rest of the week, they're practicing with blocks and getting just awesome input. I love it. I love that so much. I'm like reflecting on how if I had expressible back then, they still would have needed speech, but you know, some things would have moved a little bit smoother. I think, you know, I had a period of time where I was just like, everyone needs speech. <laughs> speech is not just speech. I mean, honestly, you know, one thing yeah. I learned as a parent, because my boys have autism and dyslexia. And what I've learned is a lot of times what services are named is not actually what it is. You know, you're taking things for like what it's like speech. Oh, speech is talking, but speech is not just talking. Mm-hmm. Someone's ability to be able to have a thought and then basically say it mm-hmm. in complete sentences. I mean, my son had at one point, he thought people couldn't understand him because he had the intelligibility, but he actually worked really hard and he had the intelligibility at one point. But his sentence structure was such that you couldn't understand what he was trying to say. I always laugh when I say occupational therapy, because when my psychiatrist, my son's psychiatrist is like, oh, take him to an occupational therapist. I was like, you'll have a job, though. occupation, you know? So, oh, you know, my point in that is, you know, for everyone's out here listening and watching, speech is not just the ability to be heard and for someone to understand the words that are coming out of your child's mouth. (laughs) Yeah. And that's for people who are thinking 15 months, 10 months, like they're not even talking, you know, there's other things. And I've checked out Expressible's website And they have some really, really good articles. And like, just for reference, even if anyone's out there who's listening and you're like, oh, my child doesn't receive speech, still really check out their site. Because, you know, one of the things as I was growing up, it was always about phonemics. It's something that we've basically moved away from phonics. But I found that phonics has so many strong building blocks when it comes to speech. So if your child doesn't have a speech therapist, and you're kind of like, they're fine, still check out their articles because knowledge is power. The more you know, the better you are as a parent. I mean, that part of, when I say that, because everyone's awesome as a parent, is that point in time when something is off and wrong. And like Yankee's saying, trust your gut. You didn't trust your gut. And then you're like, oh my God, I dropped the ball. 
And now you're feeling, oh, the parental guilt. That feels so bad. Right. right. The guilt. And we don't love that. We don't want parents to feel that way either. Right. And that would never be our goal. We would definitely focus on, well, you're here now and let's get started. <laughs> but yeah, we are all about kind of closing what we view as maybe an information gap. And you're spot on again that there's a lot more to a speech and language pathologist's job than just, you know, speech sounds. Communication development starts believe it or not, before they're even out in the world. <laughs> um, and from day one, when they're, you know, looking up in your eyes, they're building communication skills. Communication is shared between two people. So really any moment that you're sharing with your child has communication in it. Even the one month olds, the two month olds, three month olds. So yeah, please do check out the information. And we often link out to other resources, research articles and try to make that as educational as possible for families to be armed with tools. I like everyone has to have a toolbox. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> with that being said, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. I have two more questions. Yeah. And really just leads to, you know, us ending. One question is where can everyone find you? And then the other question, which was a very popular question for all my parents, like, do you accept insurance? Aha. <laughs> aha. Okay. Happy to answer both. So we can be found on, you know, all the requisite social media. So Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, Expressible HQ. Our website is just www.expressible.io, the letter I, the letter O. And Expressible is maybe tricky to spell. It's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-A-B-L-E dot I-O. And if you log on there, you can find the resources, our blog, information on our out-of-pocket pricing and schedule of free consultation. And then as far as insurance goes, we are currently hard at work on getting a network with a lot of insurance carriers. I'll say, you know, transparently, myself as a clinician, I was very passionate about kind of building our company originally out of pocket to mm -hmm. build, you know, frankly, a service that was worth paying for, you know, I wanted to crack that nut and make sure that care that we were delivering was something really valuable. And insurance presents some constraints to yeah. that on the clinician. So we built up as an out of pocket provider, we wanted to make our price point much more accessible than what other out of pocket care might look like. And so it's really transparent pricing too. It's $59 per session. And that's also the price for an evaluation, which evaluations. Oh, yeah. Evaluations, they're pricey. That, everyone has yeah. a good price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, they can be very pricey. And so that to me, again, was a barrier to access for a lot of families. Like that initial $300 evaluation might mean, Ooh, I'm not going to go do that. So we wanted to bring that down. But we also recognize that a lot of families access care through insurance. And so we are hard at work on getting into those plans so that families can utilize their benefits that they're paying into to work with our providers. So if you come to our site today, we're not quite there yet, but should be actually getting rolling in just a couple weeks with a number of plans. So stay tuned, check back if you're interested in working with us. Okay, I got one more question though. Yeah, got it. <laughs> After listening to you, so for parents whose children are receiving services in school, but they also want to supplement it with Expressible, how many sessions a month do you think that would look like? 
Yeah, it really depends on the need. And we start out with our own evaluation. So even if they've had an evaluation in school, we want to do that separate evaluation. Again, ours is going to be much more functionally and medically based, like at the home and not academically based. And so we would then make our recommendations based solely on you know what we're seeing. It could be one session a week, two sessions a week. We do sometimes do one session every other week if the need isn't as high, working with families' schedules and budgets and everything, you know, we want it to be something that's a value add to life and not a stressor. So our clinicians are really great about communicating with families, working alongside them to determine what frequency is going to best support the child's needs, but also work, you know, with the family. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining the Cypher. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was really lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please subscribe and go to wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star review. That helps us build this community. And that's what we're all about, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. The Parenting Cypher Podcast is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and the executive producer, myself, Jeannie Dawkins. Until next time, remember to be patient with yourself and your child.